Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, right from Cat Swamp Road, New Jersey. I don't know, something wrong with my microphone. I guess it's got a little bit cockeyed here. Well, I guess it's because I'm blind as a bat. But anyway, uh, hopefully everything is going well in your farm and in your life. And uh, we're getting ready to harvest soon here. Probably, God willing, another week. I'm going to be out in the field checking the crop and uh, working with with Robert to finish putting up the electric fence. I've been negligent this year as far as putting up the electric fence is concerned to, to protect my crop from uh, the deer. But I had a little bit, it's up, it's been up around the uh, first four plantings, but the electric isn't on it, just the odor is on it. I put that deer stopper that uh, from Messina Wildlife, their plot saver program, so that works actually pretty well, but I have to put the uh, run the juice to it. What had happened was that I run a wire from the uh, from our house because I have the electric fence controller in the garage, and then I run the wire to out into the field, which is probably not that far away from the house. I don't know, maybe a thousand feet, a little bit, quarter of a mile, maybe about thirteen twenty. Right now, I should know it's a drag racer. So I don't think it's a quarter of a mile, but who knows, because you don't go straight. So I have that, so I have the electric fence controller in the garage, and then I power up the one fence, and then I run, there's a uh, uh, opening between the two fields, and then I run another wire to there, from there to the fr- to the what we call the front field. And... Uh, and then power that up so they're powered up together. So I can't have the one field power. Oh, I could, I can't have the the second field with plantings five through nine power up without having field number one or the first four plantings powered up. If that makes any sense. So I'm hopefully going to get that done in the next couple of days. And uh, so it's really not much of an issue with the corn until it starts to go into tassel and form the ear. So even though you're supposed to, I usually like to get everything done shortly after I plant it, once it starts to come up, so to train the deer not to go in there, but, uh, you know, whatever. It's just been a hectic year with a lot of uh, a lot of things going on, like in everybody else's life. So it just seems that there's too many things, too many responsibilities, and uh, not, enough, uh, not enough me, and not enough time in a day. So that is that, and what we're going to do today is I am going to do a uh, a show where I'm going to have an, a, a number of letters here that I'm going to read. And once again, they are from, um, for the most part, I don't, you know, I don't have two or three of them, they're from Hemmings Muscle Machines. And you say, what are you doing that for again? Well, because the letters that I get to uh, Farm Machinery Digest are very good, but they're very specific. So I will do a show with them because they're very brand specific and these letters are more generic even obviously they're going to be talking about a certain engine but they're more broad based so <clears throat> in essence it's not like uh this is what you could find on it on on it is only applies to a john deere 4020 which obviously has value to it and i do want to do that but i kind of refrain from doing that because of the eclectic nature of the audience of this podcast but I am but I am saving some of those letters and then I will do a show that's based upon that not I mean not not in the next couple of weeks but in the future and based upon that but always keep in mind that I respond to everyone so even though their letter may not have gotten on the air but I did respond to them and opened up a commun- communication and sometimes with the agricultural equipment I'm actually better waiting a little bit because then if I open up this communication and they could give me some feedback yet at work, this didn't work or I found this or what have you or or this is the next step in a diagnostic procedure. You told me to check this. This is what it is. So that brings more intrinsic value to you guys whereas these letters are from the magazine and I send, you know, I, they, I print my response and there's probably a two to three month delay as far as that is concerned. And in, for the most part, I really never know what the people do or did. And also for the most part, and I'm saying this respectfully because I know I do have listeners, I'm not laughing, uh, listeners that read that magazine, is that uh, a lot of these people are never going to do what you tell them anyway. So I mean, that's just a fact of life. Or they're writing a question that, you know, uh, that... <laughs> 
that they want to get their, I'm saying it respectfully, they want to get their name in a magazine or they're biting off a lot more than they could chew. And, um, and I could tell, and then again, I'm saying this respectfully, I could tell by the, the question they're asking and what they're doing. So if somebody says, well, what kind of socket set should I buy? Well, what kind of screwdriver set should I buy? And I want to re- rebuild a 426 Hemi. Well, you know that this, that this is out of this guy's wheelhouse at this particular point, that person's wheelhouse. And I never, never do I want to imply that they do not have the ability to learn how to do it and accomplish it. But you're not going to, you're not going to do that as uh, right now. And um, and where people write me a letter and they say, oh well, you know, I live in an apartment and I uh, or I live in a, a townhouse and I have no garage and I want to do this. Well, you have to find the first find the place you can work. You can't be working outside and just rebuilding a motor or a transmission in the in the in the in the municipal parking lot. So whatever. But that is that. And like I say, I never, I I never. As a matter of fact, it's funny because somebody contacted me and they won't use his name. I don't know him, but he had worked for a company that I did business with for many years, and maybe I, like I said, it was fine. I mean, they didn't, I mean, they didn't say anything bad, but I just, I'm not going to use his name just out of respect to him. But he says, oh, when you wrote a response, that guy in Hemmings, Muscle Machines, that you sound like you're in a bad mood. Well, I, I'm never in a, I should say, I'm never, I'm not going to say I'm never in a bad mood, because, but I don't let my bad mood go on to other people. If I'm ever in a bad mood, I may have less patience, but in the position that I have, not so much in the podcast, but in my print journalism, excuse me, my print journalism, is that you're almost damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But my edict throughout my life, and I even tell my wife this, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to give you my best advice. And the operative word is best advice. I'm not saying that I am the best. I'm not saying I'm correct. I'm going to give you my best advice. And when you're doing a, a write-in column, when it's going to be in print for perpetuality, is that it, I feel that professionally that I have to give the person the, the the proper the proper answer to a question. And then if they choose to not do that, that's just like a doctor. You go to a doctor, you ask him something, and he says, well, you should lose weight. You should uh, start to exercise. You have to get your cholesterol down. You should stop smoking, whatever it may be. And you, and you listen to him, you pay the money, and you go out the door and say, the heck with that guy, I'm not stopping eating my bacon, eggs, cheese sandwich, I'm not doing that, right, the heck with that guy. So, I mean, he, the doctor, I'm, I'm saying that the doctor doesn't care. Well, probably today they don't care. But uh, but the thing is that when I say that the doctor doesn't care, it means he gave you his best advice. Uh, he gave you professional advice to, uh, for your for your best for, you, for your best interest, and if you choose not to do it, you choose not to do it. Just like I could say on this show, don't warm up your engine. And you could say, the hell with that hot rod farm, I'm going to warm up my engine, right? So you could, whatever. I mean, all I could do is show, tell you why you shouldn't do something, just like a doctor, and if you, and if you choose not to heed my advice, well, so be it. So anyway, so this guy writes me a says, oh, you must have been in a bad mood when you answered that guy about rebuilding an engine and uh, so I said no I'm never in a bad mood I said what I had to do is take tough love because I didn't want to tell him what he wanted to hear and after 24 well I did my first tech Q&A column in 93 so it's uh so it's geez it's almost 30 years next year wow and I've learned that you know if you tell people what they want to hear uh it's you're not you're doing them an injustice and then you get a whole bunch of readers that write back to you and then tell you that, well, that's wrong. Why'd you tell me you could do that for? That's not proper procedure. And then if, if you tell them the truth or what the proper procedure is or the proper answer and you do it gingerly, then you get people write to you, well, why'd you tell that guy for? You know, why'd you tell him that for? He could just do it this way. He could just Mickey Mouse it. I did that uh, for many years and I just did that and it worked fine. Well, that's not... So there's plenty of people, uh, you know, that, that smoke until the day they die, but there's good data that you really shouldn't do that. So whatever, we'll leave it at that. But I wanted to, so what we're going to do, I have a few letters here that have some broad-based, broad-based appeal and will have some intrinsic educational content, maybe not so much on the uh, question that they have, but the approach 
the, the what I feel is the proper approach to analyze the situation. And oftentimes when you're working on machinery or you, I mean, you're working with anything in life, right? You could be working with the, with the uh, dairy herd. You could be working with chickens. You could be working with your crops, and you really need to to analyze the situation. Say, so, well, why you know, why did this happen to my corn? Why is this happening to my cows? Or why is this happening to my soybeans? Then you need to you can't just throw your hands up. Oh, I don't know what's happening. Bad luck. So the thing is that you have to try to look backwards, and that's really more what this is about. It's educational on the hopefully it's educational on their question, but more a thought process and a protocol to how to address something. So that is what we're going to do. But I wanted to give you an update on my uh, frustrations with my Briggs & Stratton generator, my Elite 8000, I think they call it. Well, I got the manual. The man was very good. His name is John. Met him, went to his shop and picked it up. He called and said it was in. I mean, just the old school, the pleasure to deal with and uh, got the manual. And this is, no, this is not his fault or whatever. And I'm glad I did buy it. I mean, it was $80, but I'm glad I did buy it because it did help me to a certain extent. But the manual was published, the shop manual was published in 2006. And my uh, generator is a 2018. So uh, it's not, it's really not a exactly, exactly, uh, it, it loosely pertains. And then they have, uh, actually to tell you the truth, the, the, the book is okay and it did help me. I'm not going to deny it. it did help me to a certain extent. I'm not going to deny that, but uh, it really is poorly, poorly written. And the beginning, <clears throat> the beginning couple of chapters are very good. It teaches you the basics of electronics and electricity and magnetism, which is always, that's, that's great. I really, I applaud them for that. But then <clears throat> what they do is they assume that you know what they're talking about. And that's the worst thing that you could possibly do when you, and me being in my other life, a technical writer, is, I mean, you have to identify who you're writing to and you also have to, you can't fall under the assumption that everybody knows everything, even though they may be a part of that community. So in essence, today specifically with acronyms, if you don't identify the acronym or have a glossary for the acronym and the proper way to do in writing would be so, check we need to identify we need to for instance i'll make up a sentence in my mind here uh, a possible cause is the egr valve would you the proper way to do it in writing would be a possible cause is the exhaust gas recirculation valve and then in parentheses you put egr so the person knows what you're talking about you identify the acronym that's going to be used and then subsequently when you're writing you because you identified it already then you don't need to keep writing exhaust gas recirculation you could say okay unplug the egr do this do that so you need to identify it and then it based upon if you feel that the audience is going to be um have some level of eclecticness or skill sets then you may want to add a sentence or two you don't want to make it gone with the wind do you want to say the egr valve is used to reintroduce exhaust gas into the combustion chamber into the cylinder because since it's and i'm just this is not a proper sentence it, uh, to reduce an emissions called oxides of nitrogen all right so at least so now you can identify what's going on so this manual has dpe this i don't know what that dp is they have a glossary in the back but the glossary doesn't identify dp it tells you what ohms is so like i said it's very poorly written as far as that's concerned plus the other thing they, they identify so you have there's not a wiring diagram in it so, I mean, it probably would make no difference because mine is a 2018 and this, this was published in 2006. But I would tend to think that they didn't change the wiring too much, but you never know. That's why I spent $80 for the manual because I, you didn't know what they did. And there's not a wiring diagram in it, so I really have no idea how this thing is wired. And I have four receptacles and the 220, 240 volt receptacle. So... I don't know whether the two out of the four receptacles that the receptacle to the left is leg one off the stator and the receptacle to the right is leg two, or the top receptacles at leg one and leg two, who knows? So anyway, 
So that's basically that. And then also they say to you, okay, do you have a, a, a they didn't say two rotor, a, a, a two magnet rotor or a three magnet rotor. I don't think they use a magnet. I forgot what they use. Three phase rotor or two phase rotor. And I mean, what, how do I know? Well, it says on his Elite 8000. And uh, I can't see the rotor, so it's like asking, so it's like asking somebody with an engine manual, "What do you have a floating pin or a press pin?" I mean, if you don't tell them in the specifications, yeah, if you took the piston out, you could see whether it's a floating pin or a press pin. But, <laughs> but you know, looking at it, so it it, it really didn't uh, whatever. And then I, so I did some tests on it from what I could glean, and it all has illustrations. It has no pictures, but has one picture in it. So it has illustrations, and none of the illustrations of the stator uh, in the power head truly matches what I have. So I'm trying, well, it looks halfway like this picture and halfway like this picture. And then, <laughs> but the best part is they say, okay, check the resistance of the rotor okay fine i used to I mean, like i said in last week sean if you all it is is an alternator all right so it's a, it's not that much difference than an alternator in a car because it's making ac current and then they're saying oh well, do you have this do you have that do you have a capacitor well, i don't see a capacitor i see a capacitor on the back of the voltage regulator so i don't know but anyway so it says check the resistance of the stator and what i don't understand with this is that um when you check the resistance of a of a, a, not excuse me not the stator the rotor the slip rings on the rotor, when you check an automotive uh, automotive alternator and you go you want to have uh, no continuity between the two slip rings where the two brushes ride the positive and negative brushes. So, but this is saying that you're supposed. To, so when I was first checking, I said, well, I got continuity. I got very I got you know about sixty well 45 ohms 50 ohms the best i could get in there with the meter because you have the bearing there and, and they admit that it's hard to get to so i'm saying well this is craziest this 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 uh this rotor is shorted and then i'm rereading it rereading it and then so they but this is what they tell you in a book <laughs> so unbelievable so it says check check the resistance of the slip rings if it's it uh if it's uh, infinity, then it's or v- infinity or very high resistance, the the rotor is open. But what the heck is very high resistance? If it's supposed to be five ohms and it's five hundred ohms, that's very high resistance. All right, but it gets better. All right, and then uh, if it has no resistance, the rotor is shorted. Okay, fine. And then it says check Briggs and Stratton book ba 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 revision six point two for resistance settings for resistance readings. I don't have that book. <laughs> so, so basically, in essence, I have no idea whether my, I, I think my rotor is, well, it's not, it's not very high. It's about 48 ohms. It's not, it's not open. And so when it's not shorted, so I guess it's okay. And then I checked it through the brushes and the brushes through the brushes is about 57 58 ohms so maybe six or seven ohms more which is fine pulled the brushes out the slip rings look fine the brushes look fine everything inside the power head looks fine but what i did is originally the problem and none of the and all they have is one flow chart in the whole book and it does it put out no voltage no i put out voltage and the problem that i have with the unit is that the uh it puts out voltage but it always put out under no load about 121 122 volts and about 58 to 59 to 61 hertz and then with a load on it some sort of load when i would do the exercise that the you know the hertz would kind of stabilize at about 60 and the voltage would pull down a little bit which was fine maybe 119 118 120 117 so what have you right which is normal but what happened prior to this problem, there's four, there's, there's two sets of plugs, 120-volt plugs, so there's two and two, right, receptacles, so there's four receptacles, and then there's one to the left, one to the right, and when the problem started, the receptacles to the left had about three or four less volts than the ones to the right, which were never the case, because I used to check it and uh it was always exactly the same within a tenth of a volt or something it was just the way the meter would update so that's so that's what flagged me originally with the problem and then 
as it runs, the voltage drops. And then when I put a load on it, uh, the voltage drops. So I put the heat gun on it, the heat gun runs and gets hot, but the voltage, when I'm monitoring the voltage at the receptacles, the voltage starts, as I said last week, starts to cascade down. So to me, and I may be wrong, is that the that the system is not putting out enough amperage because the voltage is dropping. So it's probably pu- it's pulling it it it's trying to pull more amperage because everything works on Ohm's law: volts times amps equals watts. But there's no flow chart for that. There's no diagnostic chart that says, "All right, check the AC voltage. Is it is it zero to six volts?" Well, no, it's not zero to six volts. So, uh, is it then the next, the other side of the flow chart? Is it above six volts? Is the frequency good? So, the thing basically is as well, the frequency is a little bit low, but then one part of the book tells you the frequency should be, could be between 53 and 63. And I'm there. Another page in the book tells you that the frequency with no load should be 63, and the voltage should be 135 to 140. So it's it's, it's useless. But any so anyway. So now, what I so what I did is I said, well, let me. I got the new voltage regulator, but before I got to put the new voltage regulator on, let me see if I could adjust the pot on the back of the voltage regulator. Who knows? Maybe it turned. So. I, I don't know what the heck happened to my jeweler's screwdriver. They make the slot in that screw so, I mean, I, I mean you need, you need watch repair tools to turn it. So I, I hated doing this, and they boogered it up a little bit, but I took a pair of needle-nose pliers, and I was able to turn it, and it has a good deal of resistance on it, so I doubt if it vibrated, vibrated loose. And then what I saw on the original, they call it an AVR, an automatic voltage regulator, that they it's potted in the back, and it wasn't fully potted, so there's just a, a little bit of potting on some. It looks like a it looks like a resistor or a diode or something that's that's poking through. By no means is it poking through, but it's not fully potted. It should be potted. It should be potted. And potting is like that that uh, that I don't want to call it rubbery stuff, plasticky stuff that they put in the back to seal off electronics. So it looks like that China the Chinese were a little bit cheap on the potting because it was made in China. And uh, the new one I got was potted even with the case, so that was fully potted. So I don't, I mean, I don't think that that's an issue whatsoever. And I always checked the running temperature of the of the alternator, and it was never more than twenty five to thirty degrees above ambient, so the thing never got hot. But anyway, so I I tweaked, I played around with that uh, that pot, the potentiometer on the AVR. And it, it turned the voltage up a little bit, but it's still the same thing. And maybe one or two, I did four, four turns and in, and it went up maybe one and a half volts, uh, two volts. But it was still the same thing. I had a disparity between the right-hand receptacles and the left-hand receptacles of power outlets on the front of the machine. And then I checked the resistance with it off of uh, the four receptacles, which would go back, in theory, back to the stator. And they said that, and the person I spoke to on telephone, John, I bought the book from, he looked it up and he gave me some resistance values. And these were right on the money uh, as far as the resistance values of the stator. And then I checked the 240 outlet, which you do the two legs, the two 120 legs, all right? And I had, that was right on the money also. All right, so I said, okay, fine. Let me change the voltage regulator. I got the new voltage regulator uh who knows i mean what's happening here because it's very sensitive to the load and it seems that when it can't compensate for the load that's on it and then also when i put the put it so it didn't the rpm didn't drop down en- enough i mean it, it I just felt like i wasn't putting everything out which the instrumentation proved so i changed the voltage but let me i said let me before i change the voltage trigger let me flash the field because maybe it lost its magnetism as they say and i was giving a lot of thought to that and if anybody knows probably everybody knows more about it than i do but if you but you know you read anything about these generators and even the, the company will tell you well if we're sitting for a long time before you bought it and uh, you know it may not want to charge you have to flash the field and the way you flash the field on all of them is you take the you disconnect the the wire from the brushes so the, from the voltage regulator goes to the brushes 
And then what you do is you hook up two jumper wires, little alligator clips, and in my particular instance, the left brush was the positive and the right brush was the negative. And then you go to a 12-volt battery, a DC battery, and you just and you start the generator. And then for 5 to 10 seconds, you put 12 volts to that field circuit. Uh, I shouldn't say if it's really to, to the brushes, to the rotor. It's really not the field circuit. So you put 12 volts there, and that's supposed to re, re-magnetize it and, and wake it back up. But... I was thinking about it, and I said, "What would cause something?" I know, I know. When you don't, when you don't, when you run it without a load, you're going to lose the magnetism over time, and the voltage, the output is going to start to drop. But if they say that if it sits for a long time, or if you left it with a load plugged in and off, but sits for a long time, it could lose its magnetism. So that always bothered me, because there has to be a reason. Excuse me, and no one gives an explanation why. So I may be 100% wrong with this, but I like to critically think things. And, you know, stuff like that haunts me. <laughs> so uh, what I think it happens, that if, let's say, if you left this generator for a year, I think it's the position of, that's what I think, I may be wrong, that it is the position of the magnets on the rotor in relation to to their phase with the magnets on the stator so i think if you happen to shut it off then those i'm going to say those poles are aligned or the majority of them are aligned i think over time it's going to degrade the magnetic field if it sits and if it doesn't get used it's not going to be be like a tire so i come back five years later the tire lost some air right so i think it has to do with the with the position of the rotor the magnets on the rotor in phase with the magnets on the state it's the only thing that makes sense to me of why a gen set would would lose its magnetism if you if you did everything right like i did you know never ran it without a good load on it and what have you and just if you so they're saying if you take a brand new generator and you put right from the factory and it works and you leave it in a box for four or five years and don't touch it that there's a good possibility when you take it out it's not going to charge and the field needs to be reflashed so there is a possibility so to me the only thing that's that changes is the phase of the magnets on the stator and the rotor and the way i think about it is years ago when you had breaker points and that was before if you did that's why they put the accessory position on the key so if you said well, i want to sit and listen to the radio and you turn the ignition on because there was no accessory back position back in the 60s and the and you're listening to the radio for two hours and those breaker points happen to be closed right because where where it happened to be on the distributor cam when you shut the engine off then you would be passing current through those breaker points to the coil and you will end up burning out those points over time so if you set and listen to the radio for two hours or left the key on and the points were closed there's a very good possibility that you would burn those points because they're constantly constantly feeding the coil and they're not meant to be constantly closed feeding the coil now if you happen to shut the key off shut the engine off with the and the points just broke open they were riding up onto the castellation of the distributor cam well they're not passing current and it's irrelevant you keep it for five days like that so i personally think it's the phase of the magnets with between the rotor and the stator that's going to negate the field and uh over time and if you ran it every month or two months you would re-excite that field and you would shut off in a different position but i don't know why nobody talks about that it's like this voodoo like oh it may lose its charge in magnetic field and may we i mean i mean come on i mean i mean somebody's got to know i really think that's the only thing that makes sense so anyway i reflashed the field which i didn't think that was it and you know put the old voltage put the brushes back in put the old voltage regulator back on exactly the same nothing so i said all right the heck with it i said let me put the new voltage regulator on i paid for it i got it here in the box let's put it on and god willing this works exactly the same nothing so i said okay let me reflash the field again not that it should make any difference but who the heck knows right so I said, let me reflash the field again with the new regulator so i reflashed the field with the new avr absolutely nothing i might, might say nothing meaning no change it's still doing the same thing and then you put a load on i put the heat gun the, the voltage starts to cascade drop down so i said all right well let me do this let me put a good load on it because now I'm grasping at straws. 
Let me put a good load on it. So I put my shop vac and the heat gun on it. So the shop vac is 11 amps. The heat gun is about 10 or 12 amps. So now I have 25, 30 amps on it. So I have a good load, right? So uh, let me let me put that on, and we'll and and who knows? Maybe it's got a, for lack of a better term, just put a load on it, like wake itself up, like clear it, <clears throat> like clear itself out. So I do that, <clears throat> and the shop vac works and the heat gun works i don't think the heat gun is as hot as it should be and the shop vac was working i it didn't seem as powerful as i thought it normally is but maybe that was a placebo effect on my part but what i did is i went with the voltmeter in the empty receptacles and the voltage was down to 50 now so the good thing that happened is that now i don't <clears throat> now it degraded so the load that i put on it of the two of the shop vac and the um, heat gun degraded the voltage output to one half it was and it dropped way down so i said okay so this is good in a way because when you're diagnosing something you want to see a change and and even if it's a change for the worst but lots of times if it's a change for the worst it's now going to steer you more into a into the proper diagnostic path because before if you looked at some of the specs in the briggs and stratton book with no load on it i was writing the the lower end of the ballpark 59 hertz and 100 118 119 volts but i know it was never that way before so if you just did a no load test this thing is golden ship it let's go it's all fixed right so now what i do is i said let me go back and for the heck of it <clears throat> i want to check i can i i believe i confirmed accurately the and the uh the, the slip rings on the road will look beautiful i mean yeah they got some more they're a little bit you know dark where the where the brushes were running but the brushes look beautiful the springs are nice and tight it's rotting so nothing no, there's no problem there so i said let me go back and i want to take the you know i want to you could run these without the end cap on it so um and so i said let me check the let me get late and it's a pain in the neck because i'm you're laying on a floor for it and, the, and i'm blind as a bat so i gotta lay straight on to it and then you got the hand <laughs> handle above your head um, and then what's happening is all the kittens are out there so i need donald to come back to control them so the kittens uh creamy um samuel and haniel i think this is the most fantastic thing i mean not when it's running but they're crawling over the generator they're laying on my back the one kitten is on my crawling on my head biting my ear then you're trying to work on this generator and you don't really know what you're doing because you don't have the practical experience of saying, oh, this is how, the, oh, this, is how this comes out, or oh, there's a screw behind here. And when you're working on things, as you all are well aware, the practical aspect of it is very, very important because you're struggling. Well, how does this case come off? How does this come off? Where does this wire go? And then you have a diagram that really doesn't match. It only kind of quasi matches what you have. So I'm trying to figure out how this thing is wired. And then... Uh, and try to figure out the stator because there's three poles on the stator and then and uh and it looks like that the unit is bonded grounded to the to the to the to the frame so so it looks like this uh, that there's three wires and one is the bonding wire and so anyway but i'm 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 looking i'm trying to reverse engineer it and i'm looking so i said well let me let me go back and check the resistance of the stator uh through the receptacles all right through the four to 120 volt receptacles and the one 220. so i go and check the receptacles and back to so that's going back to the stator and i got the same reading like 0.2 ohms which is supposed to be good according to what one of the books said i think it said between 0.1 and 0.6 or 0.5 so it's right there but now I go back to the 220 plug. So the 220 is going to be two 110 legs. So leg one, leg two. That's how they get the 220 or the 240. I mean, if, so so I think they call it 230 on here. So the, they're figuring it's putting out 15, 115. But anyway, um, now before, the day bef before I put the load on it, uh, the, of the shop vac and the uh, heat gun, I had good, it was, you know, whatever, it was fine. It was the two legs with like 2.3 uh, ohms. Now I go, if 
from the common to the leg, which I think is leg one to the left on the 220 plug, but I don't really know if that's leg one. All right, so it's called the left leg, and beautiful. You know, I have the uh, you know two point you know point uh, two point three ohms. Everything is beautiful, and uh, I mean shoot, I mean not two point three, two tenths of an ohm. All right, uh, maybe I have the numbers messed up. I haven't written down, but anyway. And then now I go to the right leg, which I would think is leg two, and before I put the big load on it, the uh, that was the same. Now I have infinity. So, but what I don't understand is that why I don't see that on the 110 receptacles because there's going to be two legs unless all of those. So I don't, I honestly don't know. So I confirmed this four or five times and I, the, the right leg on the 240, 230, 240 plug is now infinity, whereas it was, it was good. It was right in spec before I put the, um, the two, the, the, the two loads, the electrical loads on the system, and ran it. So, at this particular point, if I'm not diagnosing it incorrectly, I think that the stator is bad. But when I look inside the power head, they they use like a all of these generators use like a I'm gonna they call it a, a rope or a string material around the windings, and it's supposed to be a telltale if it overheated. So if you see the string burned up in that part, it's the the the, the stator overheated everything looks beautiful in there i mean it, things only got 36 hours on it everything looks beautiful so i think one of the legs of the stator is not working now there's also supposed to be in this dpe which is supposed to be the excitement windings that and that's what you're actually flashing when you put the 12 volts to it uh to the brush to the brushes let me take the brushes off but to the two slip rings so but I would, and I may be a thousand percent wrong, but what I tend to think is that the stator is the problem, that one leg is out. I don't think it burned up. I don't think it shorted. I don't think it did anything. I think it's got a bad solder joint. That's personally what I think. I may be a hundred percent wrong. I think it's got a bad solder joint. And if it's got a bad solder joint, let's say where the plug goes on, then I could take that out and I could re-solder that and that's going to be fine. But then I'm trying to figure out, the book doesn't tell you how to get the stator out, how to do all of this. And then I looked on YouTube for whatever it's worth. And it seems that they have a, a, a special puller to pull, because you got to pull the rotor out and you have to pull the stator out. And, and one guy was doing it with a slap hammer. And so this really is much more than I want to get involved with right now. I got, you know, getting ready to do sweet corn harvest. I got a farm. I can't spend my life trying to figure out a $1,000 generator, which is brand new. <clears throat> but I love this generator. And I don't, want, <clears throat> I don't want to throw it away for a solder joint that I could solder in five minutes. So, uh, and then I looked to see if you could get a stator. And the damn stator is seven between five. If I got the right part number, between five and eight hundred dollars. I'm not going to put eight hundred dollars into a nine hundred ninety nine dollar generator. That I paid three years ago for it. But you know, the part of me, I think it's a solder joint. That's personally, I may be wrong. I think it's a solder joint. I think from, it wasn't a good solder joint. And <clears throat> the engine is made in the United States. That the alternator is made in China. So that Chinese, China bit me again. So I think that it's a bad solder joint or something that may be wrong. So the guy I bought the manual from, I put a phone call into him and said, you know, at this particular point, I'd be willing to throw $100, $150, whatever labor. He said, if you if you have the tools to pull the stator off and pull the, pull the rotor out, pull it out. I want to look at it. And he, he seems a real cool guy. You know, you could pull it out. I want to look at it. Then, if I could get it fixed, or if I could solder it myself, if it's not, then who the hell cares? I don't. It doesn't have to go back together because I. I don't want it to go to the junkyard. This thing is beautiful, and the engine is fantastic. So, and I'll have to buy another one because what's the use of having a generator? That's uh, so. I want to try to put closure to this and to get some clarity to my decision because then I just have to buy another generator because I want my wife to have the comfort of knowing that in case the power goes out that we could have water and we could have whatever. So, And if I'm going to spend the money for another one, I might as well spend it now. And if the power goes out, 
boom, I, <coughs> I, have, I have that instead of going and say, well, we're going to get a new generator after harvest and then the power goes out. I'm just going to take a drink here for a second. <coughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let me do that. So who knows? So the saga continues. But they really don't make these things so you could fix them. And that's what I was always, you know, when I bought this, I was never worried about the engine side of it. Because I could fix the engine side. I was always worried about the, the power generation side because that's the ambiguity. And this, you know, this kind of put my, uh, put my, uh, my, my fears then put them to rest that brought them to light because that's exactly what i was afraid of is it's one day it's going to stop charging or do something and then i'm going to be you know like i said it's a it's the ambulance that doesn't want to run what good is it so uh, we'll see but i wouldn't mind buying i would have to like i said to my wife i'd have to take some mouthwash and what i mean by that i do have a sour taste in my mouth over this thing over I, the briggs motor is beautiful i mean gorgeous and the unit is just a i mean the frame the, the paint on it just a quality unit as far as that's concerned but i'm very disappointed in this alternator and i'm also disappointed that the parts for it is so expensive and it's so burdensome i'm disappointed in the in the manual so i'm disappointed in all of that so i said to my wife well maybe i have to take some mouthwash to get the sour taste out of my mouth and then uh either buy another one that's the same and my logic for that being would be well i'd have this whole i put this one in a sea container drain the gas out i got a whole cadre of i got a carburetor i got parts for it or what have you but or i'll just buy another brand and i'm probably at this particular point if i can't fix this in a timely fashion at a fair price so i'm willing to put 50 percent of what it costs me into it so about five six hundred dollars i'm not going to put nine hundred dollars into a nine hundred ninety nine dollar unit that i paid for granted three years ago the unit's now fourteen hundred dollars but i'm still not going to do that uh, then i'd probably just buy a generac generac has a unit that's almost identical to this as far as supposedly its power output the gas tank size everything it doesn't look as it does, this one is really it was just just i mean really it's a beautiful looking machine and i love the briggs engines and you can, i mean you get parts of briggs engines any place and a generac has their own engine it's a chinese engine so at least i have an american engine on this one with a chinese alternator on an american frame where i get the when i get the generac it's going to be china incorporated all the way through so who knows but life is not supposed to be this complicated and in the scheme of life i'm not going to worry about it but it does bother me that i need to be able to find the smoking gun and i need to fix it or, or at least find a smoking gun and then i don't have to fix it. i could say well that's basically that so who knows we will see so I, I took 43 minutes telling you about my generator but i just wanted that's i just wanted to give you a learning experience not that you need it but just uh, looking at the pitfalls of working on equipment today and here it is you buy the book you buy everything you do everything and and you know this gets back to my point this was not a covid built generator so there's no i can't blame that it's a chinese built generator and i'm so tired i'm going to use a bad word this chinese crap that you just you buy it and then and you got to buy it again and again and again and again and it has i mean even like my refrigerator i mean when it went bad about a month ago it was a chinese thermistor so they tell you it's made in you it's assembled in usa with all chinese low quality chinese parts but um what can you do so that is that so let's get into our first letter here so i don't have you going on for 12 years and now what happened was that this is from Mr. Ger Jared G uh, Gerard, <laughs> but my tongue, no, well, he calls himself Jerry, his email was Gerard, Jerry Eugenio, and he's from Tampa, Florida. And this is a response to something that I wrote in Hemmings Muscle Machines about air conditioning service. So Mr. Eug Eugenio, I think it's Eugenio you'd pronounce it. So we'll call him Mr. Jerry. So, in regard to Brian McMahon's question about it, about AC systems, I would like to res I would like to respond with an observation over the last thirty six years. 
I keep my cars a long time, but don't drive the miles that Brian does. I don't remember how many miles Brian does. So <clears throat> I have driven one Mitsubishi and two Hyundais over 14 years each, putting over 140,000 miles on each car, okay? One thing that I believe contributes to AC failure it's, is lack of use. Brian lives in Chicago, and in those northern climates, may only run the AC three months out of the year. I live in Tampa, Florida, and my AC runs all year long. The seals and bearings always stay stay lubricated. He had a misspelling in here. In, in those cooler climates, in those cooler climates, run your AC for about five to ten minutes on every outing year round. As, this, as a side note, I have a 69 Barracuda that has a modern sand and rotary compressor. I didn't start or drive the, uh, didn't start or drive the, I guess the car for two years due to a family illness. Shortly after getting the car back on the road, the compressor failed. I attribute the failure to the lack of use. Good maintenance is always best, but if you don't use it, you could lose it, right? So basically, I, I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Jerry, for writing this letter and for sharing your experiences. So now, let's talk about this because this pertains to your combine. This this pertains to your sprayer, your farm tractor, your truck, maybe a, a grain truck, your, your everyday vehicle, your wife's vehicle. So this is really broad-based, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Now, everything I'm saying here is with 100% respect. But as I say, is I have to give you my best advice and my best explanation. And this is no disrespect whatsoever to Mr. Jerry. And he certainly cannot, you cannot deny uh, empirically or anecdotally his whatever he has had happened to him. All right. So now, as an engineer, the way you want to look at this, he's okay, fine. He, I keep my cars a long time, but don't drive the miles that Brian does. I don't know. I don't remember from that letter from six months, three, four months ago, if I, what what Brian McMahon drove or, or what kind of miles he drives. But anyway, so he says, I have driven one Mitsubishi and two Hyundais over 14 years. So he used three cars over, he had three new cars over 14 years, a Mitsubishi, Yuck. and two Hyundais, all right, so whatever. And so if you do the math, that means he kept each car about four and a half years. So let me grab my calculator. Just going away from this. So if he put a, so if he put, so it's 4.6 years. So if he put 140,000 miles divided by, we'll say 4.6, 4.5, I hit the wrong key. So he's putting about 31,000 miles a year, which is a nice amount of usage. There's no denying that, right? 31,000 miles. So so when you're analyzing something, even on your own equipment, you got to look at it this way. You say, well, hey, this thing I put so many hours a year on, like I'm saying with my generator, <clears throat> it's only got 36 hours, and half of that 36 hours was the, was the burn-in period, which I spoke about last week. All right, so he's putting about 31,000 miles, 32,000 miles a year on the cars, which is quite good. So if you break that down, that's about 600 miles a week. All right, so he's putting some use on them, and he's obviously not keeping cars longer than 140,000 miles based upon uh, what he told me here. So now he, we analyze going into the next sentence that that he believes that AC failure is due to a lack of use and Brian lives in Chicago and he only runs the AC three months out of the year. <clears throat> okay, that's all right. So let's stop there. Obviously, what he's saying is true. The man lived based upon this, he lived in Chicago, he lives in Florida, different weather climates, what have you. But for the past 30, probably 40 years, which is frightening because it's 2022, so from the late 70s, early 80s, is that when you evoked the, if the car had air conditioning, all right, like my Ranger does not have air conditioning, but almost everything has air conditioning the past 30 years, 25, 30 years, if you evoked the defroster, you are running the air conditioner compressor. So the thing is that, so even though Mr. 
McMahon lives in Chicago and doesn't run the AC all the time is that he will be every time he puts a defroster on in Chicago summer winter fall what have you is he is evoking the air conditioner compressor and the reason why you the air conditioner compressor evokes when you are running the running the defroster it's using the air conditioner compressor using the ac to remove the humidity from the air so the windows don't fog up years ago so let's say like with my ranger which came from the factory with no air conditioning by choice i didn't order it is that or years ago when you put on the defrost run and even in the in the cooler weather or you have to make it very hot in the car because you have to evaporate off that through heat but what the ac system does is pulls the humidity out so that is why so so the thing is that mr mcmahon who lives in chicago i don't remember what kind of car he had or what have you but every time he puts the defroster on he's running the ac compressor to a certain it's going to cycle on and off okay so now 40 years ago was not that way and i'm sure it's not that way with with um with mr jerry's 69 barracuda that has a modern sand and compressor and i don't think it's a rotary compressor i may be wrong usually those were axial compressors but i may be wrong so who knows but anyway so so that's basically that so now he says i live in tampa florida and my ac runs all year which i like to I do, and it says the seals and bearings have always been lubricated. So, and it says in these cool, in the in these cooler climates, run your AC about five to ten minutes on every outing, outing year round. All right, so that's his opinion. All right, so I'm certainly not knocking it. And let's go back to what what he what what Mr. Jerry was saying is that many many years ago, prior to having the ac compressors run all the time is that they used to tell you in the owner's manual we had a 67 also 98 luxury sedan that we bought used for a thousand dollars which was a lot of money back then i think my father paid eleven hundred dollars for it we went to arizona it used to tell you in the owner's manual to run the air conditioner compressor it doesn't have to be every day on every outing as mr jerry says but to run the air conditioner presser once a month or every couple of five or ten minutes to keep everything going. Now, I agree a thousand percent is that, you know, and anybody who's read me or listened to my shows that I, you know, I preach use it or lose it, that every type of machinery needs to be used and exercised, all right, for it to, to stay young. So I, 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 I agree with that, all right? And back years ago that that was the, <clears throat> that was you know the issue to run the air conditioner and you know lots of times lots of things they told you in the in i mean i remember my the owner's manual I always used to read the owner's manuals when we bought a, a well a used new used car new to us right i remember the the owner's manual and the oldsmobile said if you have snow tires on don't go over 75 miles per hour and i said i couldn't understand that and then i asked my father and he said well snow tires build more heat than a regular tire because the thread, the, the, the tread design. So, so now back then you have to remember that uh, the speed limit wasn't some places eighty or eighty-five miles an hour. So you know <clears throat> the thing is that is that a practical is that a practical thing to say? Hey, I got the snow tires on. Oh, you know I can't come one sixty miles an hour. No, and so because it was in the manual, doesn't necessarily mean you have to sift through it and i'm not gonna say you know, i'm not gonna say the discount to throw it away and forget about it so that don't mean anything but you have to look at where the motive was and the motive was even back then was for litigation and it blew the tire or what have you so so they used to say to run the air conditioner press and i'm certainly that's not going to hurt anything all right to run it if you can but back years ago also they had a temperature switch in some systems like the harrison's uh <clears throat> and i mean the frigid air systems and when it was very cold it didn't put the let the compressor go on anyway so whatever but but you could do it on a, on, a, on a day so i do i do agree with that it's always good to run stuff now if you can but to to, to run it five to ten minutes every on every outing is a little bit uh intense all right so, i mean if you're up in north dakota and your wife is going to the store hey honey better put that air conditioner on all right so like i said i'm not, and i'm pleased i'm not making any fun of what what he's saying 
but I'm trying to apply critical thinking for this and for you to think like an engineer. All right, so the fact of the matter is you can say nobody's going to run this for five to ten minutes in North Dakota every day when they use the car. So that's, that's forget about it, all right? So now the thing is that now he claims, not claims, he states that his 69 Barracuda has a modern standard rotary compressor and due to family issues, he didn't, he didn't run it for any put it back on the road after two years and shortly thereafter the compressor failed so that goes to my part point my point is that when you not my point it's a fact when you don't service an air conditioner and it and it gets low on refrigerant moisture comes in the moisture mixes with the refrigerant creates an acid and the acid eats the desiccant bag which is either going to be in the receiver dryer if it's on the high side it's going to be an accumulator with the low side makes no difference it could be in either all right and the fact of the matter is it's going to eat everything inside it's going to eat the seals it's going to eat the gasket it's going to eat the it's going to corrode the desiccant it's very gritty it's going to go through it and it's going to blow up the compressor i say blow up the compressor because the compressor it it, it it's it's like it's a little engine that that's all it is is a little motor all right so it pumps instead of pumping air and gasoline and fuel it's pumping refrigerant so what so now why did his compressor fail his sand and compressor on his barracuda i have no idea or you'd have to take it apart and do an autopsy but most likely the system had moisture in it and when it sat all that time that moisture would have been there if he didn't if the family if he didn't have an illness in the family and he did run it the moisture would still be there so as an engineer you have to say okay fine it sat for two years and it didn't it it blew up shortly thereafter would it have blown up the same day with three months prior to that we honestly don't know so you'd have to take it apart and look but the fact of the matter is is that if in this particular instance if they replaced the compressor and they didn't flush out the system and replace that desiccant and if i was correct that the desiccant bag got eaten and the acid got to everything that this compressor is going to fail also all right it's not going to fail tomorrow but it's going to fail also in short order it's not going to live its complete useful life that it's supposed to do so that is that so now uh so it's inconclusive about so he has the right he has the opinion i mean he has the right to to, to believe that that's why it failed when he had good luck before that <clears throat> but we we don't know all right that's that's you know we put that off to the side and that we don't know we don't know why that failed but now applying critical thinking to this is that john Deere, case fent anybody they make a combine they make a sprayer it's a seasonal use piece of equipment all right the thing is that is it good to start the engine and run the compressor i i would say so but look at it this way and i'm I'll, let's 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 pick on let's pick on uh whatever we'll say a combine we don't have to say a brand company x builds a company x builds a combine company x builds a combine and it, it goes out the, to the dealer and it sits on the lot for a year year and a half two years before it gets sold now so maybe today that's not the case because there's a shortage of equipment but given the right economic situations the right dynamics all right that that's very very possible that the combine was built at a certain time of year that somebody would not be interested in buying it the, the next harvest season and if you're not in the neck of the woods where you're doing a, a wheat harvest in spring that you're not going to harvest till the fall so let's say arguably that combine was built in august all right of 2000 we'll say 2022 all right and it went to a dealer that some where, where it sat and now somebody's going to come in in september or october and say i'm buying that combine for my corn crop or my soybean crop but i and it sat there for a year and a half all right then <clears throat> The manufacturer is not going to make an air conditioning system that when if you have a brand new vehicle whether it's a car or truck or a semi or a piece of construction equipment that stuff doesn't get sold in five minutes all right in most instances and i know here and it used to be that in new jersey they would title <clears throat> a piece of off-road equipment farm tractor construction equipment with the year that it was purchased so so like our 9n sat for seven years it was a 1940 it sat for seven years before it was purchased brand new in 1947 at smith ford in washington all right so the th 
I think it was purchased in Smithfield in Washington. But the thing is that uh, why it sat for seven years, who knows? It was, it was built, you know, in the beginning of World War II. I mean, who knows? So it sat for seven years. Obviously, it didn't have air conditioning. So when we bought that tractor at, an, uh, at, a, at a farm sale, we were only the second owner of it, excuse me, third owner, is that it was titled 1947 9N. But it wasn't a 47, it's a 40. So it was built in 1940. So the serial number says it was built in 1940. So moving the you know the calendar 80 years forward, the thing is that there's there's like my, my Fiesta for some reason when I bought my Fiesta, it sat for nine months on a lot before I bought it. So the thing is that and, and uh, it's not uncommon for a vehicle to sit, a piece of construction equipment, farm equipment, a semi for it to sit, and then once it goes into service, that it's like a combine, it's not going to be used all year round unless you're a custom cutter and you're following the wheat harvest up through from Texas up into Canada. So the thing is that uh, they don't design stuff, and it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't like to be used, but applying critical thinking is that then everything every piece of equipment or every air conditioner system that sat on a dealer's lot before uh, somebody bought it and then used it once a year then the air conditioner would go bad so that's the critical thinking that i'm trying to apply to this so the fact of the matter is i'm not knocking what what mr jerry says i'm not knocking that yeah is it good to use it is it it's a, yeah of course it's good to use it but it gets back to almost what i was saying about my generator is that you know if a generator sits and it's brand new and it loses its it loses its 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 uh magnetism well where is it going well, that's why I said the only thing that me makes sense is the where the magnets are lined up on the stator to the rotor, the phase when it happens to shut off. So if you if you had an air conditioner system, I mean, hey, it's great to use it. So the bullet points here is number one, is that the past 40 years, when you run the AC, when you run the defroster, you're running the air conditioner, all right? Unbeknownst to you on a road vehicle. I don't know how a combine is, all right and the second thing basic <clears throat> the second thing basically is it is the moisture that mix with the refrigerant that eats everything all right the third thing basically is which i didn't discuss is that if <clears throat> the refrigerant is in solution with the ref i mean the oil is in solution with the refrigerant and sometimes if it's sat for a long time and you put the compressor on it could have a dry start and you hear you hear a knock for a second and then it quiets right down like an engine it's sat so that so that is that but if but from my contention they may be wrong unless you were to take it apart and look at it i would say the air conditioner failed on his barracuda because it sat for it failed on his barracuda because the system had moisture in it and was creating acid and if you were using it it still would have most likely failed well you're not going to get rid of the acid all right, so using it is not going to boil the acid out. So the thing is that so the acid eats it and then destroys it. So um, so why I use this letter is that you have equipment that you put away for the winter in agriculture and in construction, but in agriculture's agricultural show is that we're concerned with we have pieces of equipment that have a very short duty cycle and the combine and a sprayer as uh, are two that come into mind. And, and also on a farm tractor you have a big farm tractor you're not using it to plow snow you have a, 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 a case i8 steiger you know you may use it to plow snow with a blade on it right but the thing is that for the most part you're not using it. it's going into the machinery shed and it's going to sit there for the winter and after two winters your air conditioner is not shot it could be right if it has moisture in it but so what i'm trying to say is that even though empirically what mr jerry is saying has intrinsic value and no disrespect when you look at the practical application of it it doesn't make any sense all right and i'm saying that respectfully and you have to recognize the other elements of it and and it's important for you to think this through and i'm using this as an example because if you don't service your air conditioner in this particular instance his sand and compressor is going to blow up also so uh, eventually
So the thing is that so he put a new compressor on, and if you didn't follow, so you could run it all you want, and or in, in, in regardless, and if you have acid in there, it's going to eat it up. So that basically is it. So I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to make sure the show comes in a little bit shorter than it did last week, and I will let you know about the saga of my generator. <laughs> and uh and and from there but in the scheme of life like i say it's nothing some people they lost their crops to tornadoes to drought they lost animals they lost family members people lose their house to a twist of people get killed a loved one goes out to town and the car or the truck and they don't come back into a car accident so in the scheme of life this generator is absolutely nothing i thank god that that is just that but because of my personality is i have to figure out what is wrong with it i'm not just going to say well it's not good it's the powerhead or whatever voodoo all right and and i have to figure out what's wrong with it and then make a business decision whether i will choose to repair it or buy something else i'm hoping i can repair it easily because i actually love the unit and i'm very proud of the unit and i also was very thankful that the good lord provided that unit for a sense of security for my wife and for me here on the farm as the power when the power goes out so it was a blessing to us and i would i would i would like to keep it in the family but in the scheme of life there's lots of things you like to keep in the family and and it doesn't happen so you have a wonderful day and know what the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america have a blessed day and i'll catch you next week thanks so much for listening